I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you chose on this awesome Sunday. It is officially August 28th. It's day three of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and you made it to church. It's a good time to make it to church. And uh, I pray, my prayer is that the Lord would minister a word to you from his word and that God would take you closer to him today because of it. So I want to pray that. I want, I want to invite you to pray that. Would you pray with me? Yes. Let's do it. Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. As we, as we get ready to open up your word, we don't do it lightly. We do it in a way that's anticipating, expectant eager to hear from you. So Lord, we're not rejecting today, we're accepting. This morning, God, we're, we're open. God, we don't need to hear another message from a person. We need to hear a word from the word. We need to hear a word from you, God, through your word in this time. So online and in the room, and somebody that may watch this years from now, months from now, would experience the Holy Spirit's power where you would take the word of God and, and transfer it to the people of God in this moment. That, that's what we're praying for. Would you pray with me? Just say, Lord, teach me today. Speak directly to me. I want to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. I think there's so much power in asking God to do that and expecting God to do that. We're in the book of Nehemiah, and we've been journeying through this Old Testament book now just, just about over a year. So it's been a wild journey from Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 in the warehouse, uh, all the way here to today on August 28th as we enter into Nehemiah chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join me in Nehemiah ch chapter 10. And we're going to dive deeper into this word here today. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. let's eat. Nehemiah chapter 10. What, what's happening here in this chapter, I believe context is key. And so you don't just jump into a random text in the Old Testament and try to figure out what the heck is going on right now. Um, just to give you a little backstory is helpful. And so last week we, uh, we, we finished up Nehemiah chapter 9, which unpacks this powerful prayer of Nehemiah. The longest recorded prayer in the Bible is contained in Nehemiah chapter 9. And what I believe Nehemiah does is he prays the patterns of God. Hopefully you've been thinking about that over the past week is, is trusting in God's patterns. In fact, I have a friend of mine who was going through a difficult season. He had got some tough news and he said, man, I'm trying to figure out how to think about this. And I gave him a word from my sermon. I said, when you don't understand God's plan, trust in God's pattern." You've seen him faithful before. Why would he fail now? When you don't understand the plan, it's okay because God, God has a long track record of coming through. He, he always finished what he, what he starts. He, he always completes the mission and assignment that he calls us to do. He works in us and with us and through us to see it happen. So Nehemiah 9 is really this beautiful retelling of God's pattern on display. And at the end of Nehemiah 9, he concludes his prayer with a declaration. He concludes the prayer actually with a, a statement of, of now here's what we're going to do about it. So even just look at Nehemiah 9 verse 38 with me, this conclusion of the prayer. He says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So the the chapter ends in chapter 9 with this long, powerful prayer. Nehemiah says, and now because of all that that I just prayed, whew, I'm making a firm covenant. Yeah. I love how Nehemiah goes, this is not going to be one of those soft covenants. Like, Lord, I promise I won't do it again. If you just show up and love, you know, do something miraculous, I, some of those covenants be a little soft. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You wind up at the altar the next week saying the same thing again. Nehemiah's like, I'm not doing that this time. We're starting over, we're hitting the reset button, we're, having, we're, we're making a declaration, we're praying this prayer, it's in worship, it's in the context of prayer and fasting and a firm covenant, Nehemiah writes, and he seals the document that he writes with these different names of the people in the land. The princes were there, the Levites were there, the priests were there. And this is where chapter 10 kicks off. As we move into chapter 10, let me go ahead and take us into verse 1. 
chapter 10, verse 1, it says, On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, and Zedekiah. And I'm just going to go ahead and spare you because the next 28 verses are all names of a lot of awesome individuals that at one time were alive and they deserve honor. And that's why you should read those verses tomorrow. All right. Um, I'm going to spare you the 28 verses of names. And I'm sure there's some amazing names that are in there. And uh, I want to encourage you to do that. But after that, Nehemiah, after he names everybody that's on the sealed document, what he does is he begins to declare and talk about how they're going to live. And when I, what I just began to see, and we're going to uncover this in just a few minutes, is Nehemiah starts to use this word first a lot. Everybody say first. first. He starts to talk about how we're going to do this first, and then we're going to give God our first, and we're going to have the firstborn, and then we're going to give God the first fruits. And I realized what Nehemiah is talking about right here is the title of my message. The title of the sermon I want to preach today is this, God first mentality. God first mentality. Come on. Someone wanted to clap? Yeah. Say it with me. Just, just speak it out loud with me. Just say God first mentality. God first mentality. I can attest to you today that I haven't always had a God first mentality. Uh, before I was a believer, I definitely didn't have a God first mentality. After I became a believer, I haven't always had a God first mentality. This pastor up here on the stage, let me confess to you, doesn't always have a God first mentality, but can I just tell you that I want to? The more I study about a God-first mentality, the more I'm drawn toward it, and I'm excited about it. Nehemiah, in this text, is, is challenging the people who, who document their names on this seal. He says, I want everybody to have a God-first mentality. Now, I want to just go ahead and break down what I mean when I say that, because some of you might give me the very kind and courteous head nod and not have a clue of what I'm saying. So I want to make sure we're all clear. Somebody say, be clear. Be clear. All right. Thank you for telling me to do that. I want to do that. God first mentality. Let's, let's break it down word by word, okay? Yeah. Let's start with God. Yeah. Who, who is God? Well, sometimes I put adjective, noun, verb. God is God. Right. You can't put one on him. God is outside of the box that you created him to be in. He lives outside of it. He created the box. God is God. Let me give you a couple examples of God just being God. Revelation 22 verse 13 declares that God is the alpha and the omega. In other words, what does that mean? He's the beginning and the end. How do you be both of those? That's God. God is God. His ways are not our ways. Praise God. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. Can I get one more? Praise God. Amen. He's the alpha and the omega. He, he, you should have a God first mentality because God is first. God is first in general, but he's first in your mentality. God is creator. Isaiah 45 verse 12 declares that the heavens and the earth is made and created by God, do you ever just take a moment and marvel on how the sun came up and did it again? And the moon came out and the stars were shining and plants are blooming and trees are developing and, and people are breathing and we have eyes. Have you ever just worshiped God because God made the eyeball? Do you know how much things are going on in one of your eyeballs? God is the creator, amen? Amen. Uh, Jesus declares that he is the way. He's the truth. God is truth. He is life and life abundantly. These are the things that, that God is. God is love. Can I get an amen? First John 4, 8. God is love. In fact, if, if you could look up the word love in a dictionary, it, would, it, it should start with God. This is who God is. God has an identity of love. So I want to encourage you with that even today, that today if you came in here thinking, you know what, I don't know if God loves me. Let me just loudly clarify, he absolutely does. He is love. He loves you and all of your, shout out to John Legend, perfect imperfections, okay? 
What? God created you. He loves you. He sent his son who died for you, rose for you. God is spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus ministering to the Samaritan woman, and Jesus declares that God is spirit. In other words, he's everywhere. Everywhere that you are, God is already there. He's just got it like that. He doesn't live in our time frame. He lives outside of it. Is it wild that God is already in tomorrow? He's waiting for you there. God is on his throne. Amen? In other words, God is in control. I thought I was going to get a few more claps for that one, but... You know, maybe, maybe, maybe that scares you a little bit. God is in control. God is good. He is ready. He is not surprised by a thing, regardless of kings, presidents, plagues, rulers, sin, Twitter trends. God is in control. God is not worried or nervous. He's on his throne. And if you have a God-first mentality, you can join him in being at peace that he's on his throne. Let me show you this verse. Psalm 47, verse 8, just declares it. I, I think this is a beautiful picture. It says, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. God is, can I just tell you, God is reigning right now. It would be good and wise of you to join his team. Like, I'm not sure who your football team is or your college football team, but even above that, it's his season. Like, God is always in season. It's always game time with God. And so I want to just start with him. So now, now do we have a, a small sample of who God is? Because you know I could have went to like 18 more bullet points. If you got that, say, I got it. All right, now let me move you into the word first. Because we might not know what first means, but first is an adjective. Webster's defines first as preceding all others in time, order, or importance. Are you starting to hear that conviction alert? Conviction, conviction. I am. We, we started with God. We moved into first. What does first mean? First means coming before all others in time, order, earliest. First means that you're taking that God who we just described, who we just put on display on the screen. This God is now preceding all others in time, order, or importance. I think we're processing. I think we're trying to just discern, whoa. A God first mentality says that I'm, I'm gonna allow this God who, who we're reading about to precede all others. I'm, I'm challenged with this thought. I wonder if we have in our church more of like a God fourth mentality. Maybe if you really examine yourself today, you'd be like, well, I'm first. It's all about me. And then, you know, maybe others come second, but they got to love me. And then, you know, my to-do list is third. And, you know, then, oh, yeah, I'm going to get to God, God fourth. And I just want to encourage you to change your order. Bring God up earlier. Bring God up in the front, as more important, that he would precede all other things in your life. And can I just declare to you this? It would be the best thing for you. I really want you to believe that today, that a God-first mentality is the best thing for you. There's nothing better. This This is the most encouraging message that I can give you today, is to put God first. I read this quote recently. I heard it on display from a few different individuals, so I'll make it a reality statement. I'll I'll say it like this. You'll never come in second by putting God first. Amen? I just want to encourage you with that, that statement. You'll never come in second if you put God first. A God first preceding all other things in your life where you bump him up to the first place is the wisest thing you could do. Now, let me talk about mentality. What's a mentality? A mentality is a noun. Oxford describes it as the characteristic attitude of mind, a way of thinking, the way of thinking of a person or group. It's a worldview. It's how you think. What comes into your mind matters. In fact, our mind determines what our steps 
do. Where we go, it starts in the mind. The heart and the mind work together. They're working together right now. What comes into your mind when you think about God is a big deal. God first mentality. You know, what type of mentality do you have when you go to work? What type of mentality do you have in the car? What type of mentality do you have with your family? What type of mentality do you have when you go on the court? Kobe Bryant had the Mamba mentality. It's how he approached the game. Kobe thought differently about basketball than what other people thought. I want to apply that idea of mentality to to God. It's a person's particular way of thinking about things. That is a mentality. I want our church during these 21 days and during the rest of your life to have a God-first mentality. When I look at Nehemiah 10, I see this cat Nehemiah encouraging, instructing, and really just trying to help the people see the best thing for them is a God-first mentality. Remember this verse. Write it down if you're a note taker. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I'm pretty positive. You've probably heard this verse before, but you need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. Matthew 6, verse 33. Can we, can we read it together? In fact, I want you to read it, but tell it to the person you came with, all right? Make them feel uncomfortable. It's awkward. I get it. Let's do it. Tell them, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Oh, come on. We got to do it. I want you to do it one more time with me, but give them a strong you. Like, tell him, tell him a big old uncomfortable you. Here we go, one more time. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You. <laughs> all these things. You know what's, what's so beautiful about the context of this verse? The context of this verse is people worrying about tomorrow. Hey, God, what about tomorrow? Will I pass the test? Will I get the job? Will I have enough money to pay my bills? Will I get the girlfriend? Will I get the boyfriend? Will I make the team? Will I go to college? Will I have a house? Will the flowers come up? Will the trees blossom? Will all that? Who's going to clothe me? How am I going to eat? And God says, will you just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? All these things will be added to you. He says, if you have a God-first mentality, you'll never come in second. I'll always make sure you have what you need, says God, in this scripture. God-first. I thought about this as I was um, this morning just preparing. I thought, you know what? I think I might write on my bathroom mirror with one of those like erasable markers or whatever. God-first mentality. Like, I want to look in the mirror, and I don't, want to, I don't even want to see me first. I want to see God-first mentality. Lord, help me to have a, a way of thinking today that is God first. I, I want you to be the first driver of my thought process. I don't want Jesus to be driving and me go, I'm taking that back. Me first mentality. And I think that we, we do that. And here's what happens. If, every time we do that, here's what I believe. When we, when we grab the steering wheel back, it's almost like the GPS. Have you ever had one of those moments where the GPS is like, all right, five minutes away, seven minutes away, 12 minutes away, 22 minutes away. The longer we take that thing and we say, no, I want to drive it. We get further and further away from what the Lord is trying to do in our lives, which has always been for us and always been for our good. And sometimes we get set back. In fact, the Israelites got set back 40 years they were almost there when Moses died and handed the baton to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Go enter into the promised land. Let's go backwards. Forty years later, Moses is now, Joshua's, like people are gone. Generations have passed. And Nehemiah in chapter 10 is saying, we won't make the same mistake. We, we will... Nehemiah 9 outlines this prayer of all that. And Nehemiah goes, Here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a God-first mentality. All right, let's talk about three points to having a God-first mentality. If you're ready, say ready. ready. Okay, let's talk about it. The first one is this, a God-first mentality in your, in your covenant. 
The reason why I say that is because we looked at verse 38. It ends now with Nehemiah saying, because of all that you've done, God, we're going to make a covenant with you. And I just want to remind you, a covenant is so much greater than a contract. A contract is a temporary agreement between two individuals that exists with a if-then mentality. If you do this, well, then I'll do that. If you don't do this, then I won't do that. And at any point, we can rip this contract up and go our different ways. That's why we don't use contract language in marriage vows. Say, this is not a contract. This is a covenant before God. Right? Covenant language is used here in the Bible. Nehemiah says, I'm making a covenant with the Lord. Whoever wants to sign this thing, come sign it. Because we're going to do, do this God's way. We're going to have a God-first mentality. Verse 1 talks about all the people who signed it. Covenant is so beautiful because covenant is what the Lord does for us. Right? The old covenant is biblical Old Testament language. The old covenant exists with what God declares with his people in the context of the law. The law is what God imparted to Moses in the book of Exodus. And then you see in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, Moses began to unpack what the law is. There's 613 different laws. That's a lot and it's hard to keep. And there's different sacrifices to make in the context of when you break the law. And I'm so grateful that the old covenant is no longer what we live by, though it's still good and true, but we live by a new covenant that's found in the blood of a king named Jesus. The new covenant, we are new covenant people. And this is how God planned for it to be, that Jesus, through his one sacrificial death on the cross, the sinless Savior, bears the, the wrath of God toward us for breaking the old covenant and instills a new covenant found in his righteous blood. That's why we partake in communion when we drink the cup and eat the, the cracker. It's symbolic of the new covenant alive in us. We live by that. We move by that. We are grateful for the new covenant found in his blood. Now, God has made a covenant with you, hasn't he? It's in the blood. You say, what covenant has God made with me? Go journey back 2,000 years ago, see Jesus nailed to the tree saying, this is for you, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be free, so that you could be whole. You could be a new creation. Old is gone, new has come, found in the blood. That's the new covenant. That's what he made with you. Now, what type of covenant will you make with him? Now, here's my thing. I would even steer you away from making big, bold vow covenants to God that are very specific because we oftentimes break them and then we break two things. We're like, we didn't actually do what we promised we would do and then we broke our promise and it's like, Ecclesiastes says you should probably not even promise in the first place. So, so here's my challenge. What does this look like today, Nehemiah 10 in 2022? Here's what I would say. A God first covenant. Here's the covenant that I would encourage you to make today. Of course, receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's how you get saved. And then say, Jesus, today I want to make a covenant with you, an agreement that's marked in eternity that I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put you first in my home. I'm going to put you first in my marriage. I'm going to put you first in my singleness. I'm going to put you first in my struggle. I'm going to put you first in my locker room. I'm going to put you first on my campus. I'm going to put you first in all of me for all of my days, a God-first mentality. This, this is the encouragement that I would give you. What type of covenant do I think you should make today based out of Nehemiah 10 when they make a covenant to the Lord? Our covenant should look like this. God, you got first. You are leading my life. God first. I actually listened to a motivational speech from Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors, right? I thought it was really interesting. It was a commencement speech that he gave at a college university to the graduates. Here's what Denzel said. I want to put this quote on the screen because I wasn't expecting this quote. He said, put God first in everything you do. Everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. I didn't always stick with him, but he stuck with me. Man, I was like, man, you better preach, Denzel. He said it way better than I could. You got to look up that speech. 
Put God first. God's saying, I'm making a covenant with you. It's in the blood. What if we as the church said, we're going to make a covenant back to you, God, by putting you first. And you've even told us, you've given us the sneak peek in Matthew 6 that if we do seek you in your kingdom, not our empire, but your kingdom, not our, your glory, not just us, but for you, you're going to take care of me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, says David in the book of Psalms. I want to encourage you. God first. Come on, somebody say God first. God first. This is the covenant that he's talking about. Let me go ahead and move into the next part of scripture. Point number two is not just God first in our covenant, but God first in our obedience. Those amens went from like, amen, to like, amen. Like, I think I'm going to amen that. I think I agree, but this point might be difficult. God first in your obedience. I've heard it put like this before. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Like if you're in this mentality today, your way of thinking could be off. You might have this way of thinking that's like, you know, one day I'm going to get right with God. Why not today? You know, why not today? You don't have to have it all together. Who gets cleaned up before they go in the shower? Just jump in. Dirty. Jesus is like, hey, just, I already know you. I already know your past. I've been watching you for a long time. Why don't you jump in today? Put God first in your obedience. This is the position that the people were in, in Nehemiah chapter 10. Look at these verses with me. It, it's going to be Old Testament context. I'm going to try to bring a little bit of clarity to that, but let's just try our best to catch it here in verse 35. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, we're going to jump into it. Or actually, let's jump into verse, I'm sorry, 28. 28 is where I'm at. I'm looking ahead here. 28, there we go. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, the daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. We will never give our daughters to the people of the land to take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. What Nehemiah is saying there in his declaration, again, he's making a covenant to the Lord. He goes deep. He brings it back to the law. And he says, everybody that's writing here, everybody that's putting their name and documenting that they're about it, are committing and covenanting to these things. Look back at verse 28 with me. I just want you to see some of the language and then we'll I'll try to apply it into real time. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of their God, their wives, all who have knowledge, understanding, they're, they're joining with us. Let me just look at this language for a second. We'll go, go, go back to that last verse um, because I think that there's a little bit of complexity and what's happening here is I've studied this chapter. There was a big deal on this topic of separation. Even in the past couple sermons, we've given a little bit of attention to the idea of separating. There's part of this idea in the, in the Old Testament, especially, and it, and it makes its way into the New, that you've got to separate yourself from sin. Christian believer, hear me, disciple of Jesus, don't play around with sin. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, it says sin is crouching at our door, waiting to jump in. And so that's why you got to get a handle on it. And in this case, separate from it. Look at sin. I don't know what your sin is, but everybody has a sin pattern. And last week I talked about having God's pattern be louder than your sin pattern. Praise God. But friend, 
get into a place during these next 21 days where you can identify sin in your life and all of us have sin in our life. First John chapter nine and 10 says, if the person says they don't have sin in their life, they lie and don't practice the truth. So, so you're, you're in a room full of sinful people. Hopefully most have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but yet we're still being sanctified, becoming into his image. I wanna encourage you to separate from sin. This is what the, the, the context is talking about when it says, who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land. In chapter nine, it talks about how they separated themselves from foreigners. And let me go ahead and put a slide up on the screen, a clarifying statement. When we talk about peoples of the land and foreigners, that equals different God. Can I just say that for a second? Just lean in and hear me because this is, this is some weighty stuff, but I don't want to jump outside of the Bible to get the wisdom. I think the wisdom is enough in, in here. Peoples of the land and the foreigners that they were separating from is the same equation as somebody who believes in a different God. I want to make that clarification because this is not talking about ethnicity. This is not talking about cultural preference or how a person looks because I think there have been some grossly mistaken views towards scriptures like this where people have talked about um, marriage in the context of race and that's not the, 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 the context here. Does that make sense? Yeah. That the context is this person believes in a false pagan God that calls this person to do something completely different than what we believe the Bible teaches. And Nehemiah is saying, don't marry that person. In fact, in the most loving way, separate from that person. Don't become best friends with that person. That's heavy. I get it. But if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You might have to look at your circle. Right? John Maxwell says, that, look at the five closest people around you. That's going to determine your next five years. And, and what this scripture is talking about is saying, hey, get around some people that are going to make you better. Get around some people that, are, that have faith. Get around some people that challenge you to believe, that challenge you to grow, that are not yes men. That if you say, hey, I'm going to run off the cliff, they say, man, have a great time. Go do it. But are going to say, hold up. Is that a God-first mentality? Or is that a man-first mentality? Or is that a sin-first mentality? Or is that a sex-first mentality? Or is that a flesh-first mentality? Come on, right? Now, that's your boyfriend's mentality. That's your girlfriend's mentality. That's social media's mentality. What are we talking about here today, church? We're talking about a God-first mentality. God, we want you to shape how we think. And so I just want to clarify here because we're seeing a lot of that language. I don't want to just skip over it. Bring a God-first mentality into your relationships. Look at this scripture, New Testament. Let's jump to the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you see this language, 2 Corinthians, sorry about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? A cultural reference to that day in Corinth. What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of God. I'm sorry, temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the Apostle Paul is, I think the Apostle Paul is instructing the Corinthian church, New Testament, under the blood, and he's reaching back into what Nehemiah is talking about, Nehemiah 10. And he's saying, hey, I want you to be careful with who you fellowship with. Doesn't mean that we're supposed to not be loving. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't be kind. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't even have relationship with people that don't believe what we believe. But it does mean that you should be wise. It does mean that you should be careful. 
I can't tell you how many people over the past seven years, come on, our church is about to celebrate seven, so I'm saying seven. I can't tell you how many people over the past seven years started out with a God-first mentality and entered into a friendship or a relationship that shipwrecked their faith and set them back, and now they're trying to uncover what happened. Where did I go wrong. And they realized my mentality shifted. I started to please man more than I desired to please God. And can I just tell you, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, he's pleased with you in the gospel. And let me make one more disclaimer. I want to just clarify here. If you are already in a marriage relationship with an unbeliever, which is a very common thing. I would imagine that there's a probably a variety of people that are in that relationship s- setting here today. Can I just say, you can still have a God-first mentality in your marriage. You can still be loving. You can still be kind. You can still put Jesus first. And prayerfully, Jesus would extend his arm to your spouse through you. I believe that that still happens. I believe that can happen. I prayed with a woman right after the first service for that to happen and to stay encouraged and to stay built up. He might not be there yet. She might not be there yet, but you have a God-first mentality nonetheless. Now, if you're not married, this message is a big deal for you. I'm trying to save you from something right now. Lowercase s, not like he he does the saving. I'm trying to help you right now make that decision. Now, if you don't have a God-first mentality, then you got to figure that out on your own. And I don't think it ends well. But I would encourage you today, if you're in a relationship, friendship, etc., with somebody who doesn't share that with you, be discerning. Be concerning. And friend, just be wise. Because he who walks with the wise becomes wise, a companion of fools will suffer harm. And so I just want to remind you of that. Check your circle. Do it wisely and don't do it rudely. Come on, who's more annoying than a rude Christian? Oh man, I know a lot of them. There's no uh, gift of the spirit called critical spirit. I know that spirit. That spirit comes creeping around every once in a while. I'm like, that's not a Holy Spirit. And if you're trying to proclaim the truth of the gospel in an unloving way, Paul says you sound like a clanging cymbal. I got seven-year-olds and four-year-olds. I know that clanging cymbal sound. It's annoying. Don't be annoying. All right. Are we there? Are we good? Is everybody still here? Woo, we're authentic. Authentic at church. You're like, man, this was a wild sermon. Let me keep looking at Nehemiah 10 with you. We're, we're almost done. Nehemiah 10, looking at verses 29. It's interesting the, the phraseology that Nehemiah uses because I want to I remind us of the gospel here. Um, they enter, Nehemiah goes like this. He goes, we're going to enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Whoa. This brother was serious. In other words, he goes, God, if we break your law, send us a curse. I don't know if I'm praying that prayer. Nehemiah goes, hey, we're going to make an oath with you, God. Let's, let's, let's have an agreement. Curse an oath. Now, one of the reasons why I would say don't pray that prayer today is because Jesus has already bore the curse. Oh, my goodness. It's so good. You don't need to enter into a curse and oath to walk in God's law today that was given by Moses because Moses in Deuteronomy 28 talks about if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. But take a Deuteronomy 28 passage and don't put a period on it. Put a dot, dot, dot and wind up in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Let me do a quick reading of Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13 and 14. Let's read it together. Ready, set, go. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Let me get a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
It's a direct, direct reading from Deuteronomy 28. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Even those who are foreigners can become believers, if you'd believe, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Capital S, spirit, the Holy Spirit of God would even come to people like me and you and, and bring us to life. So we don't have to say, God, I promise you, I'll never do that again or curse me. <laughs> don't do that. Because Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse for us. Jesus was nailed to a tree. That's why he says, when I'm high and lifted up, I will draw people to myself through through my death, through my resurrection. That's why Paul says, I just wanted you to know about Christ crucified because it's in Christ crucified that, that we experience power, amen? We experience power. To the world, it might be foolishness. To the person that maybe you're in a relationship, they might say, man, that's foolishness. But to us, it's dynamite. To us, it's everything. To us, it's first. It's a mentality that is, is first, let me give you the last point, third point, and then we'll be finished, right? God first mentality in our covenant. We're saying, God, you're going to go first. We're saying, God first mentality in our obedience. Lord, help me to follow you. Help me to obey you in all things. And a God first mentality in your generosity. Um, as this scripture comes to a close, I always like to make my quick disclaimers because things get funny when it comes to money. And pastors should never talk about money. And I went to church for the first time and they talked about money. If that's your story, please come back. We don't always talk about money that much. But I've found that if you read the Bible enough, you'll see a lot of talk about money. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. And God wants your heart. In Nehemiah 10, I didn't go searching for these scriptures, right? We're just staying faithful to the text. Look at verse 35 with me. Let's read. Verse 35, we, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground. I love that. It says everything that we grow, we're going to take the first part of it and bring it to God. We're just going to say, God, this is the, first, the first fruits from the ground is, is yours. And wait, wait, wait. The first fruits of all the fruit of every tree, yours. How often? Year by year. To the house of the Lord. Also, verse 36, to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle. So there's, they're taking their firstborn children and saying, we're dedicating this child to the Lord. Use them in this house of the Lord to do great things. We want you to grow up in the house of the Lord. We're taking our firstborn cattle and saying, God, you get first. As it's written in the law and in the firstborn of our herds, and our flocks, all these animals to the Lord, 30, 37, and to bring the first of our dough. Come on, y'all know the dough I'm talking about? He said, we won't. Does anybody use dough anymore? I haven't used I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach my kids about tithing. I'm going to say, give me the first Play-Doh, all right? Let me get that first dough, the first cookie dough. And our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine, the oil, God, you get first. To the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. They're saying, I'm taking a tenth out of that and blessing it to the Lord. For it's the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. Scripture says, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be the Levite's when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes. I was talking to Pastor Mike about that. These people were tithing off the tithes. Like, God, we, just, we want you to get a tenth and then an extra tenth to the, th to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. What I love about this finish is 
Nehemiah finishes his covenant declaration that he wanted everybody to sign, curse and oath, new faith, just new day. He says, I want everybody to make sure it's God first mentality, not just with our lips, but also with our walk. You know, um, I once heard somebody say, God gave us three tongues, one right here and one on each of our feet, right? (laughs) To walk out what we talk about. And it's one thing to say, yeah, God, God first covenant. It's another thing to live it out when you get here. It's another thing to live it out tomorrow. God first mentality on a Tuesday. God first mentality on a Saturday night. God first mentality on a Monday morning. This is what we are looking at. This is what we are talking about. And you see this great emphasis on tithing here. And I just like to give these quick disclaimers and clarifications to our church because we believe in tithing here at Walk Church. Um, I, I, I am excited to talk about it because I'm a practitioner and I'm a satisfied customer. I'm a raving fan of tithing because I've heard so many miraculous stories of people that started to take God up on tithing and came back and said, dude, my mind's blown just on how God came through. He said, Hayden, you couldn't have told me how it was going to happen. Only God knew. But I had to trust him. Listen to me. The New Testament, does it require tithing? I would say no. I'd say the New Testament requires everything. So for, so, so for, my, for my people that say, don't preach tithing, that, that's not in the New Testament. I'd say the New Testament is 100%, bruh. But the Old Testament talks about a standard of tithing. In fact, it's even above 10% in the Old Testament. But I would say this, as a studier of God's word, I'm a biblicist, I want to just follow the patterns of God. I would say that there's a pattern of tithing throughout the whole course of the Bible. So in the beginning, you'll find this cat named Abraham in those first handful of chapters of Genesis. And, And Abraham, out of God's goodness to him, wants to bless the Lord back. And he says, I'm going to tithe of what you've given me. A couple chapters later, Abraham and Isaac, and then you find Jacob on this journey. Jacob says, I want to give a tithe off of what God has given me. You fast forward to Nehemiah, they're still practicing tithing. If you go all the way to Malachi, chapter three, God says, you're robbing me. The people say, how are we robbing you, God? And God says, in your tithes and your offerings, open up that and you'll open up heaven. He says, you'll open the windows of heaven. You'll open the storehouse of heaven through your generosity. And where does that start with? He says it starts with tithing. It's saying, God's saying, I've given you 100%. I want you to trust me with 10. Not because God needs your money. He has plenty of it. But because you need to learn how to trust him. It, it's, it's more meaningful for you to trust God in faith with 10% than it is for God to get your measly 10%. My bad. I mean, you're, you're awesome 10%. That's I'm saying that in the context of God. Sometimes we give God our money like, God, you better... I'm trusting you with this. God's like, you need me more than I need you. God's saying, hey, I'd like to take that 10% and change the world with it. And guess what? You'll be happier because of it. God's saying, let me use you. Let me work with you. Let me actually take the resources I've given you and multiply it. God's a multiplier, amen? God's an investor. God's a business God. He takes our, that's when I use the word measly, that's what I'm saying. Our, whatever we give to God is measly <laughs> compared to God. And God can take us, little old us. Do you know we're a little speck on the planet? <laughs> and God would even take us to change it. I want to encourage you to trust him even with your tithes. In fact, there's this moment in Matthew chapter 23, and I'll close with this. Worship team, help me close this sermon. In Matthew 23... Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he's teaching them a rebuke. He's he's saying, hey, you guys missed it in all these areas. The Pharisees are the religious elite. These are supposed to be the the people of faith that know the Bible better than anybody else, and Jesus is saying, you guys are missing it. But he does give them one compliment. Do you know what the compliment was? He says, you guys actually do tithe, though. So even in the New Testament, Jesus affirms tithing in Matthew 23, but he says they they neglected the more important things. Tithing's not everything. Like, don't find your 
Don't, definitely don't find your merit or favor with God in the fact that you tithe. Like, hey, look, I don't got to obey the Lord, but I do tithe. I do, I do give a tenth. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. We say that, right? Check your heart before you start. I would even say that with tithing. I would even say today, hey, look, if you want to start tithing because you think it's going to earn you favor with God, don't do it. Or if you think, I'm going to start tithing because I have to, uh, don't do it. I would say start tithing because God's worthy and because we learn how to be like God through giving. Tithing was the, the starting step for me. It's not the whole staircase. God's continuing to make me more generous. I love reading about Pastor Rick Warren in California who does the reverse tithe. He gives 90%, lives off 10. Lord, help me to get there one day. Now, Lord, help me to sell a million-dollar book too. But, you know, like, Lord, <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd, I'd love to live off 10. Right? But, but I think the principle is there. The principle. So, Nehemiah 10, God first. Let's look at the three points on the screen and we'll close. Three points on the screen. God first in your covenant. What's the covenant? God first. Jesus made his covenant through his blood. We make our covenant through our faith. God first in your obedience. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Even in the context of relationship, even if that means I need to separate from somebody, even if that means I need to say no to my sin that I love, even if I need to confess my sin like I talked about a couple weeks ago, even if that means I need to start using my gifts to serve and get uncomfortable and start tithing God, first, obedience. And then lastly, God first, generous. God, make me more generous. Nehemiah says we're going to be a people who are generous, eager to give. Oh, Lord, help us to be like that. Father, Thank you for this sermon today. Thank you for Nehemiah 10. And Jesus, I believe we're, we're wrestling today, trying to figure it out. God, the, everybody that's in this room today is on a journey, one step at a time. God, I pray we would trust you with everything. We would trust you with our past. We would trust you with our future. We would trust you with our reputation. Thank you for the covenant you made to us in the blood of Jesus. We make a covenant back to you and say, God, be first. God, we'll reorder things in our lives for you to be first. Even in, in something as close as our giving. If there's anybody in the room today that doesn't know Jesus as your Savior and you have not yet been wooed by the love of the Father found in Christ. Right now, I just want to invite you to call on his name. Call on his name and say, Jesus, please save me. Change me. Give me a new heart. Give me new passions. Give me new desires, a new mindset. God, I want a God-first mentality. I want to follow you all my days. Thank you for dying for me and rising for me. Thank you for bearing my sin debt. Thank you for taking on my curse so I could take on your life. I'm ready now. Help me, Lord. Walk with me all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.